As you all know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. And this week, we're running a huge promo on the site. The total points scored in the Thursday night game between Jacksonville and Cincinnati will represent the percentage off any product on the site on Friday, October 1st. Visit sharpfootballanalysis.com on Friday and check out the blue banner at the top of the page, which will have the discount code. Last year, that got up to 65 points, so that was 65% off. We'll see what it is this year. Remember, Friday, sharpfootballanalysis.com, blue banner at the top of the page, which will have the discount code. What is going on, Sharp Football family? It is week four. This is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar. I hope everyone's sitting at three and one, maybe two and two and one, or three and oh, I should say, maybe two and one if you if you did suffer a loss. Everyone's been hitting their cash lines for three weeks. Uh, I've got another great guest this week to kind of help us through some of the early three-week signals of the NFL season, we'll call them. It is Ben Gretsch. Uh, from Rotoviz, he does a stealing signal subsack. He's from Ship Chasing with uh, the boys Pete Overset and, and Pete Crane, Pat Crane. Uh, so you know, kind of intros, pleasantries out of the way. Ben, what's happening, brother? Not much, man. I'm uh, excited to be on with you. It's always a, a blast to chat with you. Um, we can get a little a little deeper into stuff. It's been an interesting first few weeks for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're at the point now where you know. So typically around week four is where you can kind of throw out ADP priors. You know, usually ADP is still a really good signal for rest of the season performance all the way up until week four. So this is kind of the breaking point for a lot of players. So maybe we'll touch on some of those in a little bit. But, you know, first I want to, you know, absolutely I wanted to have you on because you are someone that takes a deep dive into the games every week. In, at the beginning of every week, like a quick turnaround. We're talking literally Monday. You've already have content coming out on games uh, that just happened on Sunday. Uh, you take the deep dives into all the kind of uh, the, the, the biggest signals. It's called stealing signals. So, you know, players that kind of like who can sustain production, lose production, some performance that were kind of fluky. Uh, I know you can explain it a lot better. So I'll kind of step out of your way and kind of let you do kind of the spiel of exactly what the thesis of stealing signals is, and then kind of, you know, as you hit that, you know, kind of go me through your, go through your, the process of how you kind of get to creating this on this quick turnaround. Well, yeah, I just saw you mentioning on, uh, on Twitter that um, like right before we recorded that you're not big into red zone, which I thought was awesome. And then you're kind of talking about like trying to watch all the games at once mm-hmm. and people, I think like think that's crazy, but it's, it's, a, I think it's a little bit of a learned skill, but it's something I've done for a lot of years now. Uh, watched all the games at once on Sundays, and you—I mean, you can—you miss some stuff, but you can pop your head around, especially like you know once commercials start hitting and stuff like that. So that's that's what I'm doing all day Sunday. I'm—I literally don't move. <laughs> I just <laughs> sit there and watch all the games constantly. I'm taking notes on what I'm seeing. Um, you know, just being someone who understands the game of football to a certain degree and understands the stats is something I love about you as well. You know, like you're always referencing stats that actually tell the story of what really happened. It's really easy. I think with football stats to just kind of go look up numbers and not understand that there's a lot of uh, context that's necessary with those stats. Um, And so you're like, you know, I I see people share stats all the time. I'm like, yeah, but that's not really what happened in that game. You know, like Mm -hmm. that's not really, that wasn't really the story of that. And so what I do, watch all the games, take all the notes, pay attention to what's actually happening. I, I tend to have a pretty good idea of what the stats are even going to tell me before I look at them, which is you can get you into trouble. You want to you want to be you know objective when you're looking at stats. But um, then yeah, Monday I'm going back through. I'm writing about every game, basically what I saw, what the stats are telling me as I'm getting a chance to review the stats, and then I, I highlight what the signal was from that game and what the noise was. You know what the stuff. Uh, what, what stuff that people are going to see in the box score that actually don't really tell the story of the way that the game went or the way that the, the, the usage was sort of intended to be or what would be most predictive going, you know, going forward in terms of fantasy success, but people use it for DFS, people use it for sports betting. I think there's a lot of applications. I'm mostly just like, when I started this years ago, it was at Rotoviz, uh, you know, Sean Siegel uh, came up with the idea. He actually came up with a name not the structure, but he was like, yeah, we'll call it stealing signals. And I was like, Oh, that's great. I'll, I'll riff on that. I'll, I'll do signal and noise from every game. Um, but his, his whole thing was like, I just want you to write about every game every week. And I still kind of try to keep that ethos. It's just like, I'll, I'm going to write about what I saw every week, basically about every game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, it is, you know, I joke, you know, when we, 
I grew up with my friends. We would, you know, even got into fantasy. We would always meet every Sunday after we played. We were still weekend warriors at the time, you know, you know, playing, still trying to hang on to the dream, you know, playing competitive flag football and stuff. And we would always hit this local, you know, dive bar that was by us that had this wall of TVs. And, you know, you would watch every game at once, you know, where we're talking about all the players we had. We were into betting at the time, you know, we were complete degenerates then, you know, at an early age. And we needed to kind of see, you know, the ebb and flow of, of every game and know what's going on. And you talk about just having that, it's kind of a learned skill where you just train your eyes, you know, when to look away, right? Like when the yeah. play's over and you learn to, you know, it's, you know, when the commercials are, it's, it takes a little bit every week one, like that first, like kind of five minutes of week one every year, I'm just kind of like, all right. Yeah. And then you have it down and it's just watching all the games. But uh, I, I am, I have no problem with reds and I absolutely understand why it's so popular, but I am someone that I love to see like the, the ebb and flow and kind of how the whys and not just the set pieces of every yeah, game. I, mean, <laughs> I, I watched red zone way back when it first came out. I think I was still in college or just after college. I remember watching it at times and, and being like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> like I, yeah. I get why people enjoy it, but <laughs> you do miss, like when you start looking at the box scores, you're like, Oh, that dude has eight catches. Like I haven't seen a single one of his catches today. What's going on in that game? You know, because he's, you know, whatever catching balls, not in the red zone. They're always highlighting, you know, the TDs and everything. There's a lot more to it. It's a blast to actually watch all the games and be like, Oh yeah, that dude's getting peppered with targets right now. You know? over in this, you know, corner of of the screen. (laughs) So as we dig into some of the the week three signals, you know, I don't want, you don't have to, you know, share everything, you know, in the cupboard, but, you know, what are some of the biggest things we can take out from this most recent week that maybe the general population, like you said, may have overlooked just looking at the box square this week? Well, I mean, there's ton. (laughs) I I, I always make this joke every every pod I go on, people are like, what's the biggest signal? Give me one. (laughs) What's the biggest signal? It's like everything, right? Um, Well, just some things that stood out to you that you find interesting. Yeah, no, no, certainly. I mean, like (laughs) some of it built on what we already saw. Like week one, I really highlighted uh, Mike Williams, his usage and said like, look, even if he has like a dud in week two, the fact that he got everything that he got in week one is such a bull sign for his upside case. We've now seen that two weeks in a row to the extent that for people who've been reading my column every week, I've now put it in the noise that like, let's just be a little careful with his efficiency. He's catching over 70% of his passes. He has four touchdowns on 31 targets. Like don't, don't get out of control, but Mike Williams is for the season so far, I, I probably the biggest signal. He, he has gotten everything you would have wanted out of him. Jalen Guyton's basically an empty route runner. They had target volume available. So him getting targets at all depths and, and, and really building out. I mean, like, He's not never had a strong targets per out run. He's been in the same mm-hmm. like 17, 18% uh, of routes he's targeted on range, which is like good, but it's certainly not great. And he's taking that step forward in year five, which is, you know, we don't typically see that. So that, that's very promising for him. Uh, one of the big week three notes that I would say, just like very recent was Zach Moss. He comes back in week two. Most of his production is in the fourth quarter. Both of his touchdowns in week two are in the fourth quarter. Uh, Devin Singletary yep. got the close touches earlier in that game. And so it looked like Singletary was still the lead. Obviously, Moss missed week one. Comes back in week three. He was way more involved. He looked really good. Ran ran the same number of routes as Singletary. He also drew targets at a good rate. Uh, his targets per route run last year weren't very strong. The uh, Singletary's have been also not great, but... Uh, and it's different scales for running backs and things. Not not great, but better than Moss and both of Singletary's two years so far. So that was something I was watching earlier this year is like, can Moss, you know, not run so many empty routes, basically, like he did last year. He didn't have the target volume to match up with his routes. He drew targets in this game a little bit. He looked good in the past game. And then he got five of the six touches inside the 10-yard line, which I always call the green zone, which was massive. Five, five green zone touches in one game is huge. Getting that many... Uh, um, as like a, a percentage of your team's overall work and Singletary's was in the fourth quarter this time. So sort of flipped from week two, it was like Moss was their guy throughout the game. And then Singletary got sort of this late touch. It was uh, very promising for Zach Moss. I think you have to have him as more valuable than Singletary after week three. And after week two, I still would have had Singletary as more valuable than Moss. Yeah. I mean, th- things change and things oscillate, but I mean, that's kind of what we kind of thought coming in, right? Like we thought it would eventually shift to where, even if there was some kind of split, like those, those money touches uh, yeah. would kind of find, find their way to Moss based on his archetype. And I'm someone that talks about archetypes on this show a lot. And I, and my, my subscribers, my listeners always know that I've always talked about, you know, the context of how players are used and, and a target just isn't a target. And you kind of done a, this a great job of this through a couple of metrics that you've kind of added on and kind of made your own. 
The first one is, is trap touches. I at least want to touch on that for a minute just uh, to highlight exactly what trap touches are and exactly why they are so valuable for running backs. Yeah, no, high value touches. Trap is the bad ones. So, oh, I'm sorry, uh, the trap touches. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I had it backwards. Yeah, yeah, high value touches are just all all receptions and touches inside the ten yard line. There's a lot of different ways we can look at running back value, right? But the biggest thing is, no matter what, like the receiving and the in the and the TD equity is what drives the upside. That's what we're just kind of saying with Moss. The fact that he was doing a little better in the passing game, and you're talking about you know his his type of back and all that. I mean, that's that's what we were hoping to see with with that back. That that backfield is not going to generate a ton of running back points, although it's been certainly better through three weeks this year. But that's what we're looking for: receiving, touchdown potential. Obviously, your listeners know all this. But high value touches are, are basically a crude, a simplistic measure of that, where we're just looking at receptions and we're looking at touches inside the 10 yard line. Now there's all sorts of expected points models, weighted models inside the five touches, goal line touches, different ways you can split things up into smaller samples. One of the things I like about high value touches, especially the inside the 10 thing, uh, number one, if you look at every yard line, if you go all the way back towards the 10 yard line, those still have higher scoring rates per touch for a running back, then once you start to get outside the 10 yard line, that's where it really oh, yeah. flattens. Right. And so it's like, okay, we're still, you know, the touches at the seven and eight, they're not as valuable as the touches at the two and three, but they still matter. Like the, there is a, still a little bit of a bump in, in touchdown scoring potential. I also think people get a little too caught up on like the inside of the five or really close to the goal line, because a lot of that's highly variable. It's something you taught me years ago that like the, the number of plays that a team runs like at the one yard line, is like massive. It's just, there's like tons of variance that goes into that. Like Dalvin cook last year had 20 carries from the three yard line and in that was the most in the league. It was one of the highest numbers for any individual player in, in several years. I can't remember the exact stat from the off season. Uh, but a big part of that was because Minnesota as a team had had so many plays inside the three yard line. It just had plays that ended up at the one and things like that. It was really funny in week one, then Justin Jefferson scores and they don't give him the TD. And that's <laughs> the exact variance we're talking about, right? They put it at the one Dalvin cook runs it in. It's great that Cook gets all those touches. There's almost no stickiness year over year in terms of how many plays a team runs that close. And so part of me is like, okay, when we look at these like weighted models and things, we're looking, we're putting a lot of weight on guys getting touches at the one, especially, which there are really high TD rates, but we don't actually know a lot about whether teams are actually going to get those plays at the one at, at the same rate. And so you know, the, the big example from last year was uh, Antonio Gibson early in the year. Peyton Barber was taking his goal line stuff. Well, Gibson was also getting a lot of high value touches, getting these carries inside the 10 yard line, just not at the one. And then he started scoring from the four and he started scoring from the six and he started scoring from a little, you know, a couple of yards further away. And then eventually he started to actually get some of the goal line stuff too. And it was like, okay, well, the fact that he was still getting high value touches was, was important relative to like looking at these weighted models. Anyway, the, the point is we're just looking purely at, the touches that matter for fantasy scoring. And it's about 25% of all running back touches fall into this bucket receptions and carries or, or, or receptions inside the 10 yard line. They account for almost 60% of running back fantasy scoring. So you have the other 75% of touches are low value touches. They're these, these trap ones, right? Trivial that stands for trivial rush attempt percentage. And so it's this percentage of touches that the running back has that are not high value touches. It's everything outside the 10 yard line. And it's only rush attempts outside the 10 yard line, basically like the between the twenties carries those types of running backs might have 20 touches in a game. But if 18 of them are those low value rush attempts far away from the end zone, they're not that great. In fa- I mean, we have to recognize relative, at least to their 20 touches, they're not going to be as good for fantasy. They're not going to have as much of a ceiling as a back that maybe only gets 15 touches, but gets 10 high value touches. That guy's going to be way better. Right. And so we're looking at, at, at essentially the, the things that matter taking a little bit of a higher level view than some of the weighted, you know, uh, metrics, which I do like, I think they, they absolutely matter, but I kind of just want this, this rough look at what of their touches are stuff that, that are translating to a better percent chance of scoring. Cause we also have to factor in skill and stuff. Like I don't want to be too exact with usage. Like, again, going back to the Gibson thing, I think Gibson's been pretty solid. He's been pretty good. We have concerns about his usage and things, but, um, I think he's a pretty good football player. He can probably be more efficient than his workload in some regards. And so there's elements like that, that you want to add to it. And, and Gibson's maybe not the, the right poster boy for this whole point, but um, yeah, I, I like, I like using high value touches because it gives me a little bit of a 10,000 foot view. And then I am watching the games. I do know the context of like, well, did those carries come 
at the one yard line or not. Cause th- those matter, obviously <laughs> we want the one yard line carries. <laughs> yeah. The, the red zone stuff is crazy. I've done a lot of work on that over the years and it's really wild. Uh, I did a, a, an article on it this summer. I kind of relitigate it every year just to kind of see the, the more modern trends. And yeah, I mean, over the past decade, it literally all uh, in the of red zone touchdowns, the one yard line uh, accounts for 22% of all red zone touchdowns. Anyways, you think it's just this one specific yard line on the football field. And that's because, you know, you have penalties, uh, you know, the pass interference, the end zone, or just in these other random events, like you said, you know, Justin Jefferson's rolled down at the one it's, it's crazy how that, how it works out, but yeah, and it's account they've accounted for the one yard line accounts for 16% of all touchdowns, no matter what, no matter it red zone or not. So it's, it's just the most important yard line, but like you said, it's a lot of variance to how you get there. There's a lot of ranges of outcomes to how do you even end up at the one yard line? Uh, yeah. it's super, it's, it's, it's wild how you get there. And a lot of times the players that stack, uh, touches in that area are because they had a failed touch the previous yeah. touch before Jonathan Taylor stat here <laughs> yeah you know you have a failed touch the touch before so you go back to it, it's like well we got stoned on one yard line have another one and then you know uh you see that and that kind of creates some of the especially early in the season you see some of those I remember Nick Chubb uh two years ago like ran really cold to the goal line yeah. but like it was like one game against the Bills he had like seven carries inside the two if they kept just trying to get him these touchdowns so they couldn't do it but uh I found though when you look big picture from like a season-long perspective that stuff doesn't matter like when you use that context and I've tried to strip away like goal line carries that were after a previous goal line carry and they actually made less of a it was still a higher signal using the whole bulk like yeah. you know okay good for like, well, and like look at Taylor <laughs> I, I know you want to talk about Taylor a little bit today but like I think it's 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 notable that they just kept going to him because they're kind of yeah. like we don't have anything else so when they went to Wentz on on a fourth down uh must have been week two after Taylor got stuffed three straight plays he, he they did like a little play action. He got sacked right away. Looked like yep. kind of lost. A little bit later in the game, Taylor gets stuffed on first down, and then they go to like a shovel pass, and he literally just shovel passed it to no one. Like I don't know what happened on the play. It was just like floating in the middle of, of the <laughs> like the line of scrimmage, and a D tackle or DN caught it for an interception. It's like that. I, when some people have said that he's looked good, there's there's been some stuff that's looked good. He's also looked clueless at times, man. Like last week, he had a really bad intentional grounding where. It looked like he just didn't want to get hit. And so he just fired the vault to the ground and they threw a flag like immediately. Usually they have to confer and they're like, nope, that's intentional grounding. Here's the flag. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that they keep going to Taylor, actually, to your point, I, I agree. Yeah. Like, I, I think they're going to continue to do that. They don't have other options. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think he's, uh, you know, as long as this knee stuff checks out early in the week, which, you know, it doesn't sound like it's anything to be super freaked out. It's typically if guys are practicing limited already at this point of the week, they're going to be fine to play, but you just keep eyes on that. But I think it's a great bounce back spot for him. I always told people before the season that I thought that, you know, the Colts were going to be a team that had a good chance to, to start the season 0 and 5. And that might be because, you know, Jonathan Taylor doesn't always, he has doesn't have always get all those high value touches because of the, how good Naheem Hines is in the passing game and plays in those long down and distance roles that it might be a slower start for him. Uh, but the Colts uh, have one of our, our favorite, most favorable run schedules, you know, towards the back half of the season. So I think once we clear, I think he's going to have a good spot this week at Miami and they could even outright win this game. And then you got the Ravens next week, but then once you clear that there's a lot of winnable, you know, high uh, games where they're going to be in like a lot of neutral game script and, and matchup wise, you know, you got tight, you know Jets Jaguars two games against the Texans uh you got the Cardinals uh at the end of the season the Raiders like they, there's gonna be games where they hang around and they're gonna be more uh in some more neutral game scripts uh, than they have been you know the opening three weeks and hopefully they get a little better quarterback play too but yeah. uh I, I think John well we'll get to the Colts probably in a little bit maybe I mean we'll just springboard that but I did want to touch on one thing other thing though that you had and I want some people get more familiar with the kind of you know work you do and some of the stuff you're doing like like we're giving them is it if you want to find ceiling signals you know Ben has a sub stack you can find it but he also put out a free article to kind of preview some of the work he does this week uh what's about weighted uh you know targets per route run and I love this because a lot of people have heard me talk you know at nauseum about how a route isn't a route a target isn't a target and you found a way to kind of marry targets per route run and yards per route run a dot everything kind of together bridge kind of all this into kind of one metric so kind of share people kind of what that is uh and, you know where they can find this article yeah the other one is is weight that that I've, I've used for years is weighted opportunity rating yep. from josh hermsmeyer which looked at uh team target share or, or looks at team target share and, and team air yard share and then weights them so the targets are a little bit more more valuable, a little bit, you know, given more weight, because that's sort of what, uh, you know, when he's running the models and seeing that's, that's what the, the, you know, the predictiveness element 
I'm, I'm clearly a math major, so I can talk about this so perfectly, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, it waits out that way, right? Air yards matter. Targets plus air yards are better than just targets, but targets are, um, should, should be weighted more, right? And so that's the way he created this weighted opportunity metric. The thing about Whopper that I've always uh, sort of struggled with or, or added it as context and, and you know, they're differing opinions on this. I think Josh's opinion is slightly different, but like it, it is rel- uh, relative to the team volume because it's all team share. And so um, for me, there's certainly, especially the, the first couple of years I was using it, I was uh, like, oh, this guy's Whopper's massive. And like, that's great. And then, Hollywood Brown. Yeah. But then it's like, but they don't throw a lot and then they just can continue to not throw. And then like, you know, it's, it can be tough. The, the per route run stuff has been great over the last few years. I've been a big fan of targets per route run over the last couple of years. Um, because basically you can split yards per route run into yards per target and targets per route run. There's more signal on the targets per route run side. Um, people say yards per route runs like a better efficiency metric than yards per target, but the only difference is they add is it adds targets per route run, which is, I think an efficiency metric we should, I mean, we can talk about that a ton. I'm sure you talk about it. Like earning targets is a skill routes are the opportunity, but it's not as uh, simplistic as if opportunity and efficiency, like it is at running back. And like, we've always sort of talked about it at, in, for a receiver. We've always thought of targets as opportunity. I think routes run of the opportunity targets are somewhere in this middle ground. And then there's the yards per target and yak stuff, which is like true efficiency. And so it's like three layers at, at, at receiver. And that targets per route run is actually really important because we know that targets are so important. Being able to earn targets is important. And it's a skill. The guys who earn a lot of targets are very good. They're the ones that are consistently scoring a lot in fantasy. You need targets. And some guys, you know, some, some players, people think suck or don't have a high enough eight out or whatever. I mean, this, that used to be like a, a knock on Keenan Allen. I, I know like Deontay Johnson gets it, but they, they, like, they earn targets at such a high rate that they're very good. They can have monster games. There's upside to just consistently earning targets and catching a ton of passes. So targets per outrun, great stat. The only issue with it is not all targets are created equal. We do need to, to weigh in the depth, right? And so like a, a, a guy like uh, whoever, like Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who's yeah. earning some targets at downfield, that's a little bit more notable than somebody who's earning the same number of targets at a really low ADOT. If you're at a low ADOT, you need to be earning a ton of targets. And so that's one of the things that Whopper does. It includes air yard share and target share. Um, you reference, you know, yards per out run, some of these other elements. Basically, I, what I did with weighted targets per out run is it's targets per out run. It also takes into account air yards per route run. We're still using route run as the, um, the opportunity, you know, sort of basis. And then I weighted them very similar to how Josh weights uh, the, the, the two in Whopper. So targets per route run is getting more influence than air yards per route run. I scaled it. So it's sort of similar to Whopper. You can kind of think of it similarly, but the difference being the key difference, a lot of it is very similar, right? The key difference is um, we're looking purely at the player per route run. There's less of an influence on, um, you know, the team volume. And so, you know, for a team that throws a ton, I mean, it, it's still per route run that that player's running more routes, but uh, teams that are more vertical with more air yards overall is going to show up in their weighted targets per route run, as opposed to like the other teams are all going to have lower weighted targets, probably like the bears are not throwing downfield. All of them have low, low numbers in this metric, which isn't, which is relevant. And then the other side of it is guys that aren't playing full snap shares. It gives us a good idea of like breakouts, right? Like, so Rondo Moore, we know is not, is not getting the full role right now rather than just looking at his target share and his air yard share, I think it is very instructive to look at his targets per route run. Then we can wait it for air yards. He's not actually seeing a ton of air yards. So that actually knocks him down a little bit in this stat relative to just pure targets per route run, but it's still very, very good to see where, where Rondo Moore is at in his first few games on a route run basis. The volume that he's earning is, is very strong. Uh, some of that's because of design stuff and all that, but he looks great. If it, so what we can, put in the back of our minds if his role expands if there's an injury or something whatever happens I mean one of the things that I did in this article you talked about I went team by team if somebody wants to read it it's at bengresh.substack.com it's a free article you can just click through uh to read it but what you can do uh with with this type of stat or or excuse me uh what, what I was looking at with Arizona is Christian Kirk is even better in terms of weighted targets per outrun than Rondo Moore right now and he's been efficient he's been catching passes making plays AJ Green's not been terrible, even though um, at earning volume, he's been pretty bad at efficiency up until week three. He's been terrible until week three, looked okay in week three. 
but that's kind of a problem for Moore. Moore's running a lot of his routes out of the slot. Kirk is playing really well out of the slot. Green is doing well enough on the outside that there's not an obvious spot for Moore to, to for his role to grow right now until, you know, maybe Green is so bad that they kick Kirk outside like they did last year. But that's tough because Kirk's playing better inside right now. And so there's, you know, th- there's interesting context here. We have like a lot of positive uh, from Rondell Moore as we look at the stat, but at the same time, got to be aware of whether he's going to be used that way. Anyway, I went through each team, put down some thoughts. You know, I thought it was a good exercise after three weeks when we've seen pretty good routes run samples and, and see, you know, who's gaining this year, who's losing and that kind of thing. Yeah, I like it. You can find every single uh, pass catcher in, in the offense uh, in, in this article for every single team that you can reference. So you can check everyone's kind of stats out. He laid it out per team. So you can get to see how they compare against each other. Very cool. Very informative stuff. I love that. I love the stuff that gets into like the, the player usage stuff. That's that's my jam. That's what I love. Uh, but one of the things that we I brought you on for, too, is that, you know, what what, what does it mean to the theme this week? Uh, you know, we're at week three. I talked I hinted about it earlier that, you know, typically ADP still holds a lot of weight preseason ADP and in, in, in terms of predicting player performance for full season up until after week four or heading into week four. And now we've got uh, a few teams here that have come out of the blocks haven't been particularly good and we've invested into a lot of the players with high draft capital on some of these teams uh so kind of you know kind of walk through kind of some of how these teams performing how we kind of see big picture how we're handling some of the specific pieces on these teams moving forward because they're uh three weeks in now a lot of people are starting to get a little worrisome about some of these you know players uh you know obviously we talk let's talk about jonathan taylor just right off the rip because you know i think that everyone uh, when we talk about the Colts, we're really talking about two players right now that everyone invested in. It's Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. So we can just touch on the, 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 the one that people are probably kind of leaning on right now. And it's Jonathan Taylor. I talked about their strength of schedule a little bit. For me, when I look at this Colts team, and it's kind of played out like I thought it would, like I hinted with you. But the biggest problem right now is just, and, and we'll, it'll be a common thread as we talk about some of these teams, is offensive line play. And offensive line play is one of these things that's a fantasy analyst and, and other fantasy analysts people have kind of steered away from because it's really hard to quantify it's really hard to put it into like any perspective but we inherently know that as just general fans of understanding football offensive line play is pretty important to how your offense operates and you look at a team like the indianapolis colts there are 20 players right now in the nfl and offensive linemen that are allowing a pressure rate uh of 10 percent or higher of their passing snaps and uh Four of them are in Indianapolis Colts uh, right now. So not, not too hot. Uh, Julian Davenport is on that list. They just got Eric Fisher back. He did not play well in the limited snaps that he's been back. Uh, you got Matt Glinsky and, you know, Braden Smith, who missed the game, and he's their starting right tackle. So now we've got Quentin Nelson kind of with a banged-up ankle injury. He already had a foot injury, you know, in the in the preseason. So it, it really is, like you said, when you look at the Carson Wentz and the performance of this offense, I think it really does come down to just how much he's been under pressure and – you know, these snap, these short yards and down distances, the carries that Jonathan Taylor's had, he hasn't been able to convert are due to this offensive line. But I do think it's something they'll figure out and they'll get healthier as they go along. The set schedule gets better. Uh, but I think a lot ties back to on the Colts with this offensive line performance. And, uh, you know, I still like if, if I didn't draft a lot of Jonathan Taylor this year because he was a guy I had ranked more as a back end second rounder. Uh, and he was, he only went there for a period when uh, it looked like once wasn't going to play and then kind of just shifted right back up to being a one, two turn guy. But I would say he'd be a guy I'd absolutely be looking to kind of grab onto because he's got that kind of usage that is very similar to a, a Nick Chubb doesn't have the full kind of workload because you've got Naheem Hines there. But uh, how are you handling John Taylor? Cause I got it. I know you took him in a couple main events, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple things, uh, like with the Chubb comparison, Chubb, with, like, we can go go to that like targets per out run or weighted targets per out run. It's not really as relevant to weight with with running backs. Chubb has always sort of struggled at targets per out run. Derrick Henry is the other one who's always struggled, but for some reason is like doubled his targets per out run this year, which is just awesome for me because I, I faded him for yeah. similar reasons. It's a big reason I faded Chubb. Taylor was pretty good last year. I thought some of that probably had to do with Philip Rivers, uh, but he's been pretty solid again this year in terms of drawing uh targets per route and so that's great week one what's that week one it was amazing right and so it's 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 uh it's um for him i think there's the part of the reason i was on him i completely agree with your concerns about chubb and and henry and the similar workload it the the part of the reason beyond him was like essentially number one he could be just like a generational talent you're getting into like 
um, you know, similar to obviously like Henry is that type and or whatever, but I was thinking more on along, along the lines of like early career, Adrian Peterson. Um, he kind of mm-hmm. profiled that way as a, as a prospect. And, um, and I mean, I know that's really high price, but like he had a really impressive prospect profile and then looked really, really great as a runner late last year. So you have that element. And the second element was that he could be sort of that or Henry or Chubb, but with a little bit more receiving having Heinz there doesn't help obviously, but that was part of the reason I was on him. Um, but the, the concerns about the Colts, I think you said are, are like super notable. The, the offensive line stuff, super notable. And then the schedule changes is, is valuable. We do need to see Taylor do more um, as a receiver and, and just all, you know, all the way across, obviously, like the fact that he hasn't scored a touchdown is just like so frustrating. And then watching the Heem Hines score last week. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's frustrating, but um, I don't think that there's anything, in, in Heinz usage that is, you know, particularly higher. The big thing for them, for me, from like a, a player perspective, based on how they played the first couple of games is that they, they basically trailed throughout each of these three losses, um, which that's not, I mean, they want to be a run first team. We kind of know that they haven't actually really been using Mac. They're now talking about potentially trading Marlon Mac. I mean, I think there are some little signs there that are like, okay, when they're winning, they want to lean on Jonathan Taylor heavily, but these first three games, they haven't been able to do that. They're using Heinz more. They're in more pass situations. It's not great right now for them doing what they want to do as an offense, but they've given us some like tip their hand a little bit that like eventually when they're doing anything well, at some point, they're going to want to be doing it through Jonathan Taylor is sort of the, the evidence that or the way that I've been reading the evidence. It's certainly, um, you know, rose colored a little bit because as you said, I had to take him in a couple of, of main events and in some big places. I will say on Pittman though, that's, that's sort of a downside on him is like, yeah, he saw, he's seen a lot of targets the last couple of weeks, but so far that I would mention this in the weighted targets per run column, he's not particularly high on a per route basis. He's run a ton of routes because they've had to throw a bunch in these three games. Don't necessarily think that that's how they're going to look, especially when they get into some of these easier matchups down the, down the road. Um, He's definitely taken a step up from last year, but he's not really anywhere near sort of the, the high-end guys, those 12 targets have been strong both the last couple of weeks, but we look at, and he also had sort of a dud in week one. We look at the three games, com, you know, uh, in, in conjunction and and then also the per route stuff. Some of it's just, he has a, a really high routes run number right now. And I, I do think that probably comes down a little. So I'm a little bit like lower on him than what his volume might actually suggest just on its face. I think like, as we go forward, the way that the Colts are going to shift is like more Taylor and then some of that is like a negative for the passing game. You mentioned Pittman being obviously the most important one there. Um, the fact that his weighted targets part run have not been like really strong so far is a little bit, a little bit concerning because he has seen so many targets, obviously. Yeah. He's a probably a great package up player right now, you know, definitely yeah. the, in your two for ones. I, I agree that totally we might get T.Y. Hilton back at some point here too. Um, and then if the quarterback play doesn't improve, you're going to just deal with that variance regardless. Uh, I love him as like a package up player. Uh, that's a definitely some of these guys early in the season. Another team that we invested two high draft picks into players is uh, the Atlanta Falcons and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. And obviously like, you know, the Kyle Pitts, I think that the Kyle Pitts argument against him is obviously just going to always circle back to the rookie tight end thing, but that really isn't the case. I don't, yeah. The reasons he's not performing are not because he's a rookie tight end. He's actually getting like insane usage for a rookie tight end at the stage of his career. And the role he's in is amazing. Um, and the same thing with Calvin Ridley is just his role is a little bit different, but uh, the offense in general has just been so abysmal to start the year. I mean, it, it's very, as very early 2020 shades of like Pittsburgh Steeler ish, like, uh, kind of feeling where they just have to throw everything at a low A dot because they can't pass protect. Uh, and, you know, they don't have a quarterback that can move, that can, you know, acquiesce to a team that can't pass block. So everything's getting close to the line of scrimmage. And we've seen the role change for Calvin Ridley so far. I mean, he's gone from, he had a 15.2 yard average up the target last year. It's nine yards flat this year, but like, his targets are amazing. Like his, his actual opportunity is still really good. Uh, now, did you pay for Deontay Johnson at the one, two turn? Maybe, but you know, uh, there's at least a floor there for Calvin Ridley. And maybe there's a little bit more if they figure this thing out, but uh, how are you treating, you know, Calvin Ridley? And then you can spin it into Kyle Pitts too, as well, uh, based on the start of what we've seen from the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. The biggest, like, interesting note with them so far i mean i I don't actually have the target rate to positions data pulled up you you probably do they've got to be league leading or or i mean 
just based on the other sets I'm looking at, they got to be like top five in, in running back target rate. Like they're, they're throwing to Cordero Patterson and, and Mike Davis a ton. T- you noted their, um, their low dot. Patterson hilariously leads the team in weighted targets per out run, which weights in air yards. <laughs> His targets per out run is so high that he's, he's their, their team leader ahead of Calvin Ridley, who has dropped a ton from last year in his weighted targets per outrun uh, number because he's not seeing the air yards. Like you said, the targets are still strong, but he's lost a lot of, of volume down the field. And then Pitts, I completely agree with what you said. Like he's seeing great usage. Basically, he's just not earning targets. Like we talk about earning targets being a skill, like he's a rookie. And he's just like a rookie wide receiver who's maybe not earning targets right away. That happens, even really good rookies. And he actually has earned some. Like, let's be clear. He's not like not earning any volume. Week three was really his first, like, you know, there wasn't anything there. The first two weeks he had, what, six and eight targets, like solid, solid enough, right? Um I, I mean, I, I don't really have an issue with Kyle Pitts at all right now. I think if you're expecting him to just absolutely smash from week one on the efficiency side and, and like earning targets at a massively high rate, those things are probably a little unrealistic. Like he is a rookie. <laughs> and the fact is, to your point, he's running a ton of routes. He's out there. His role is fantastic. It's not looking like it's letting any signs of going. His routes are rising from week one to two to three. Like he, his route share, I think, has gone up each week. Like they if anything held him back in week one, when he was very high and then it just continued to, to rise. It was yeah. 79%, 80%, 85%. Like those are phenomenal numbers for a tight end. He's not being asked to pass block or anything like that. He's being treated like a receiver, like a full-time receiver. And that's, I mean, if he has the talent, if he's able to, you know, develop a little bit, earn targets, learn about, you know, route running, whatever it is that, that rookies need to do. Um, you know, the target numbers are going to rise. The efficiency is going to rise. He's, obviously a matchup nightmare. I mean, he's a great, a great by low. I think if people are actually really concerned about him not hitting a ceiling, like this is one of the things I wrote about signals this week. And you were talking about how we're kind of at the, at the top uh, and I'm going to go way off course here, but you're talking at the top of the show about how we're kind of reaching that point where ADP doesn't matter anymore. And the trends start to matter more. One of the things I wrote about signals this year, and I'm curious about your take on this, but I feel like these first three weeks more so than uh, a lot of the other years that I've done this, I think they feature, you know, I talk about it in terms of signal and noise. I think they featured more noise in the first three weeks than most first three weeks. There's trends that matter, obviously, but there's a lot of stuff we've seen from a lot of teams. First of all, a lot of players have had ups and downs, goods and bats. And we haven't seen like clear smashes. Like Mike Williams is one. Uh, we haven't seen like clear, horrible trends. Like Calvin Ridley, not great, but he could just have a game next week where he gets a bunch of air yards and we're like, okay, that's fantastic to see. Um, he's still earning targets, right? It's not, it's not horrible. The, the things that are happening with Atlanta are not horrible. This is a team where to me, like everything could flip with one game basically. Uh, but so far what we've seen is just a lot of volume going down to the running backs. And like you said, that like they're not pass protecting. There's there are concerns, but I'm not convinced that like these trends are going to define their season. Number one, that Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts have actually lost a ton of value based on these three weeks. They, they are notable, but especially for Pitts, like the, the dude is, is young. He's going to need a little time to develop. And then for Ridley, it's like, did he, like, is he really just completely screwed on the air yards? Like, we'll see. It's not great right now, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like really at the start of the season, I mean, I, cause I write this, I do the worksheet every year and I always caution people. Like I usually like I'm at my best, like, you know, several weeks into the season and then through on like, so like, like weeks five, like usually week four afterwards, I'm, this is like usually where I hit my stride where I can have just like a really good, accurate diagnosis of, of things. Now I'm still, it's fantasy football. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm plenty afterwards, but this is when I start to feel, start to feel the best is when we get that sample because you, like you said, that you might have a game based on an opponent there's so much there's a lot of noise of what's gone into so far and then you know it, it like that just goes in it like who did you play how did the game script go uh, did you you know have certain targets in a certain situation did you cash one in like there's a lot that goes back here and I think the only players that I'm really like I'm, I'm content to say like early on that to do like a like a 180 on and say like yeah this is a totally different situation than what I had projected are obviously Mike Williams what we knew could have been in the range of outcomes anyways we, we've been drafting for four right. years hoping for this uh, Cooper Cup, 
and I had I had Cooper Cup over Robert Woods this year, and uh, but still the the the, the role he's playing is yep. still better. It, it's still better yeah. than what I even. I, I mean, it, I had him over him too because of targets <laughs> per out run, but he always ran fewer routes. Now he's running more routes than Robert Woods. To your point, and it's like okay, well, and he's earning targets at a higher rate. It's so now we have more routes. He had more targets. This is good. Yeah, <laughs> right? and, and I think uh, I think Debo Samuel is one of those guys too. Like his usage yep. has been because it's not like because the the t- it's not just the t- the route that Debo's getting it's the types of routes Debo his first couple of years was you know how we've seen LaVisca Chenault used now uh low a dot mate you're a glorified running back in the passing game and Debo's playing traditional receiver these these yeah. opening three weeks and so like... <laughs> but even he it's like Brandon Ayuk ran more routes this week he, he's yep. not involved yet but we did see Debo see some air yards when Ayuk was out last year a little bit at times and then less when Ayuk was in, because they, they had injuries with all three of those guys at different times last year. And I am still a little bit worried about Debo once Ayuk really gets in the flow. Like, when we're, are we looking ahead to like week eight? Is Ayuk still doing what he's been doing in these first three weeks? Or is he suddenly getting a lot of those targets and Debo is negatively influenced? But I do agree with you. I mean, Debo's, Debo's role this year has been way better. Yeah, I think that the, going into Sunday night, I, I was actually worried about that going into Sunday night. And, you know, you can end up running more routes, but I was worried with their running back situation that we would see a lot of old school Debo, like, you know, yeah. using, and they really didn't go to it. Like, so I was yeah. like, all right, this is, so this, it made me feel a little bit better. And then, you know, probably the other guy is uh, that I think I was just completely wrong on is Derek Carr. <laughs> so, uh, you know, me too. So, I mean, a lot of, and you know, I'm, I actually kicked myself first because I looked at Derek Carr's like end of the season finish last year. And I was just like, all right, well, I've got this other six year sample. Like, I'm just going to, but he's playing like, they're, they're playing the exact same way. I think that it's going to be an interesting matchup this week because the Brandon Staley's defense completely tries to take away the one thing that the Raiders have been good at passing football this year, which is downfield. So it's going to be a fun Monday night kind of matchup. But Yeah, the, but you're <laughs> right. Their, their team stuff has been super interesting. The, the, that's one of the big ones that I'm Because they were great at, at like score efficiency last year. They were efficient offense. Yeah, but like the pass rate over expectation, early down passing rate, that stuff, like the Raiders are popping right now. And that's that I'm definitely looking at. Now, uh, on the other end, you have the Bengals not popping right now. And I'm like, I kind of expected that with Burrow. Like, what are, do you mm-hmm. think they're, I don't think they're going to be massively high, but I think they're definitely going to come up from their pass rate so far, right? Don't, don't you kind of? Yeah, not, they're, not they're dead night. last. Not I think they're, are, are we releasing this today? We're recording on Thursday. I don't think they will against the Jaguar. <laughs> no, I mean, because so far, the, the early signal so far has been when they're in neutral game script and ahead that they want to use, because Burrow on a per dropback base is still getting sacked a ton. But they, the way you can neutralize that is just not putting them in situations to get sacked. So if they're, they've kind of, you know, they really haven't been in a lot of those situations the past two years under Zach Taylor. Uh, yeah. So, so they're, they've been in these, you know, against the Vikings, they're a neutral game script, they're a neutral game script Steelers. So we expect them to be a neutral game script, the Jaguars. So, you know, obviously the Jaguars can be run on. So it's probably a game where we see a lot of Joe Mixon and they don't have T Higgins on the field on Thursday right. night. So we don't have to get too deep in the weeds on Thursday because we want this thing to have some evergreen qualities. But I do think big picture though, we will see one Burrow get more acclimated. We saw him run, move around a lot more against the Steelers than he did the previous two weeks and them get more comfortable, you know, dialing up more pass plays. And they'll be in situations just from a schedule stance where they're going to have to throw more too. Yeah. So uh, starts in week five. I think they have Baltimore, right? Is that right? Yeah, they've got a, th- their schedule really ramps up, uh, you know, it's, over no, it's Green Bay in week five, Baltimore in week seven. Those are two that I'm looking at where I'm like, yeah, they're going to throw more in those games. Yeah, they're going to have to throw more. So, I mean, I'm all in on it. Uh, the one interesting thing, it's it's tough because, we, you know, we have this curious case of Jamar Chase right now. I don't want to knock Jamar Chase because he's a rookie wide receiver. It's been so awesome out of the box. But it's really hard to, to grasp onto what's sustainable here, the way he's scoring his fantasy points uh, to elevate him up to like a complete wide receiver too. Uh, you know, he, he's obviously got 40% of his points are now scored from touchdowns. Uh, but also it's like this dude scored in his first three career NFL games. Like there's something here, right? Like, you know, so yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, it's, I always hate when you get into those situations, right? Where we talk about sustainability and, and, and stats, but you also have this, thing on the a guy or... the long view matters i always call it the right. long view and stealing signals <laughs> like the fact is jamar chase was a phenomenal prospect he's hitting early in his rookie year and everything that shows like when we look back at like rookie breakouts they look like this right yes. they look like this they look like <laughs> great prospects who come in have roles and are, are really good uh, efficient on the opportunity they're getting they look like ronnell Moore too frankly because a lot of times it takes the role building and it's the late season breakouts the aj browns in his rookie year and 
Juju Smith-Schuster who are in these limited roles, but later in the year that the role expands. But early in the year, what you see is in the limited role, the, the efficiency, which we've seen from more. But Chase is the even bigger head. He's the Justin Jefferson or the yeah. Calvin Ridley early in, in the first month of their rookie years had monster games. And it's like, okay, well, then you want to be in on that. Even yeah, if Terry it's not McLaurin, like, Terry McLaurin was like that too. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. Even if they're not, even if they're not going to be able to sustain the specific type of production, you want to be in on that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And Chase, one of those guys, he slipped and, you know, at the, at the end of the preseason. So everyone that, you know, got them as their wide receiver three is just l- licking their chops right now. Like, oh, this has been so I hot. took him in a bunch <laughs> of mains at the end because it was like, why is he falling? Because it drops in the preseason. Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was a guy, I actually wasn't drafting him a lot because I thought he was a little overvalued. I had T Higgins high. I was born to T Higgins. Yep, and then it, then it switched and I grabbed a bunch from the last like final three weeks of the season because of everything that happened. Yep. Uh, so that kind of really worked out in my favor because I would have been, I would have been shut out. I wouldn't have had him. Right. I actually wrote an article on the Substack and was like, you know you preseason things that matter or don't it was the main point was was jamar chase was like look they're gonna give him all the opportunity in the world they took him over there's all this talk about did they did they make a mistake taking him over penny sewell all that stuff and it's like well look the drops are not going to keep him off the field they're going to give him a chance even if he keeps having drop issues in the in the regular season they might cut his routes for a week or two but then they're going to go right back to him they're going to give him every opportunity all year eventually the dude's going to start making plays and anyway we saw it right away from week one so it was just like an absolute smash that people overreacted to that one last guy before we kind of get into, uh, you know, our, our starts, our starts of the week and, you know, I don't have to pick your brain on a, a player you're going to hold on your bench, but one last player I get, I just seen the sky is falling on and everyone, I get so many, I get asked about this player more than any player this week is Allen Robinson in this Bears situation. Uh, you know, we see Matt Nagy come out. It, it's like Matt Nagy never watched Justin Fields play football last week. Uh, they tried to, they just tried to run like a quick passing game. Uh, which is not, you know, Justin Fields' strength at all as a, as a player, as a prospect coming out. Uh, the Browns were able to get home with four, sit back and so sit, just sit on everything short, and it was just it was just a cocktail of disaster. And, and Justin Fields is obviously a fault too. You don't throw for one net passing yard and not have everyone be guilty. Uh, but you know, the, we now have this situation now where we're three weeks into the season. The Bears have no identity. They can't even figure out what they're going to do. Uh, this the offensive line is bad they can't produce any kind of you know sustainable drives uh and but Allen robinson is still there from terms of target share but 21 targets 86 yards on 20 targets through three games uh out of all players in the nfl now with that type of usage i mean he is dead last in targets he's third from the bottom in air yards because his, his a dot's not even high because andy dalton hasn't thrown one pass for 15 yards downfield in the season when he's been in uh what if, if you have Allen robinson what kind of advice do you give to people uh or, or if you say are you just taking what you can get are you saying hold he plays the lions maybe if he has a good game against the lions you sell what, how are you handling Alan that's Robinson. probably how I that's probably how I would take it. Like I, it's interesting. He's looked like kind of disinterested. The, the, the fields thing is super interesting. I, I think you put it very well because there's been some people now that have sort of pushed back. I think it's all related sort of to what your expectation was or, or whatever. Like my expectation is the rookie QB is gonna struggle to some degree. Like obviously Fields wasn't perfect in that game. He had he had his mistakes, but like it's your job as a coach to make his his job easier. And also Fields, like if you listen to his pressers and everything, like he just seems like the kind of quarterback that's going to do what his coach says. Like he, I mean, he's just had some almost like Russell Wilson-y type comments that are like, you know, so, so positive. Like I'm not trying to like knock the guy, but almost like dorky. Like he came out and was like, why are we booing Andy Dalton? We should just cheer for everybody who like, when, when have you ever heard a rookie backup quarterback come out and say that? Like it was, it was just like a very positive message. Like don't boo Andy Dalton. Cause you want me on the field. Um, again, not knocking fields, love fields. But like, it seemed, if you're watching the game, you're like, you're seeing them especially react to them getting absolutely blown up in the pocket. It seemed very much like they're telling fields, like, we want you to throw these, like, especially to start the second half, we want you to throw these balls quicker, just get the ball out quicker. Like that's his instruction. He was hitting his drops quicker and trying to release them right away into routes that were just like curl routes every time that the Browns from a defensive perspective, they're getting so much pressure. Their secondary is now saying, okay, we can creep up. And they're just jumping every single one of these curls. And it's like, that's not how you combat this. That's not mm-hmm. how you fix this issue. Why are you like, I don't know. I'm obviously reading into it because I'm coming from the perspective that like, I'm assuming that he was being coached this way and all of that. Other people have, have gone out of their way to kind of make a point that Fields was worse. And, and there's too much being put on, on Nagy's shoulders on that. 
regardless, it was bad all the way around. The offensive line was horrible. I mean, you know, maybe you don't put all that on Nagy, obviously, but I certainly don't think they did a, a lot to adjust to the offensive line issues, right? They, their tackles are just getting beat, you know, ridiculous, and, and they still weren't doing any, you know, making any major adjustments or doing anything that was making that uh, any more palatable at all. Anyway, uh, that game was was pretty bad. But at the same time, when I was going back and watching a lot of that stuff, I've seen some of these like QB reviews that were really interesting on on what happened with the Bears. You know, they're highlighting these these like combo routes where Allen Robinson was the key guy, and he's like not even running the route. He's just like he looks like super disinterested, which is in some respects is probably kind of a positive knowing what we know about his stats, which is like maybe he locks back in at some point. Right. But like, he looks like he doesn't even want to play the wide receiver position right now. It looks almost AJ green. Like, right. And that's not good. That's not what you want to see at the same time. You're not going to get any value for him right now. If you can, I would just trade him. I would just get out. Like there's enough bad signs right now. I'd get out. If you can get solid, you know, return, it's still early. Maybe somebody thinks they're buying low. Fine. Like if you can get pretty solid return, I'd trade him. I think what you said about the lions and all of that is probably the best move. Like hope that they respond this week. And I saw some people point out that, you know, some bears people, some people in the Chicago area that cover the team say that this is a type of situation where Nagy has like a really good coach. Well, coach game, he comes like, he always like saves his job, <laughs> pulls, right? Pulls like, himself out of the depths. <laughs> right. Right. He's on the hot seat. So now, now they'll come out and look great this week was sort of the implication that he won't let himself get fired. Like they'll, they'll do great. And that wouldn't be that surprising. The Lions are kind of, uh, you know, not a great defense necessarily. They, they'll play fast, though, on offense we've seen. They're willing to be a little bit spunky and feisty and, and, and play tough. And that game could shoot out a little bit if the Bears are actually a little bit interesting on offense. They're going to have to be interesting. But um, it wouldn't be that surprising to see Robinson come out and have a decent game. And then, like you said, that's probably when you then you just sell. You're like, okay, <laughs> I got I got my value uh, rebound. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm pretty much, I don't see a lot of, this is a situation I can talk myself into the Falcons like situation and, and those guys still having value and stuff. I, I'm a little more keen on getting out of Allen Robinson. I think David Montgomery is as a role that's still kind of worth because every, it's just because of the byproduct that people need running back production. Yep. So he's a good buy low. Yeah. I think he is a good buy low uh, in that situation. He can kind of survive that kind of big bigger picture than counting on a wide receiver. Uh, I mean, but right. his role's been, the reason I said his role's been fantastic. And anytime like a running back's role is really good. He's running a ton of routes, playing a bunch of snaps and the production is awful just because the whole team production is awful. It like, it makes him kind of a buy low. I'm not a David Montgomery fan, but if somebody's like, Oh, this guy sucks now and is willing to trade him for, you know, cents on the dollar basically you know that there's going to be some game situations where the bears are relevant whether that's because Nagy gets fired and they start doing different stuff with an interim coach whatever what they've done so far has been awful and so things should improve he i mean he, one of his biggest plays of the year got called back by a penalty it was like a little you know dump off pass mm-hmm. it, it it's the on twitter he made that one cut went up the sideline um he'll have some plays and things and the role is really good where all that you know it's impossible to be good at running back when the team is bad, right? Like that, that matters. The team overall production, the way that they play the game, whether, whether the team's moving the ball influences running back fantasy production a ton. And so, yeah, anytime a team is doing as bad as the bears and there's only room to go up and and you got a guy who has a really strong role from a metrics perspective, snaps and routes and all that, he's got to be a buy low. Yeah, I take that. Uh, all right, one last quick, quick question here. Uh, I always like to ask, so who, who's a guy you're, that Ben Gretsch is holding on benches? He hasn't hit yet, but you're holding. You're not, you're not giving up on. You believe that there's still going to be some end-of-the-season runway that you just not, you're not letting go of. Oh, that's interesting. I, I wasn't really thinking through how you meant this. Like I, I, well, no, who, just obvious, anyone. Just, yeah, just take it, take it, one this take it in any is, direction. The obvious one this week is like Ramondre Stevenson, right? But like everyone's picking him up. But I, that's just because of the the James White injury. I think there's a lot of positives there. I'll say Visca, maybe. I mean, I think everybody's really down on Visca. I've I've seen some like trade offers that have basically valued Visca as if he's a complete zero at this point. People are asking me about dropping him. Uh, I still, I still think uh, AJ Dillon is worth holding. People are wanting to cut him. Kenneth Gainwell, I've been asked about a couple of times this week. I think you hold him. Those are guys that Gainwell especially has some standalone value when the Eagles play better, has caught passes in in late game situations, and I think has a lot of contingent value. Gainwell, really good prospect. The concern with him, the reason we maybe weren't talking about him as much in August as we could have, 
he was a fifth, uh, a fifth round pick. And then Boston Scott sort of playing ahead of him early in the, in the training camp. But what we've seen so far is like, this is a two man backfield only and Gainwell is playing. Like he's already overcome that fifth round draft capital. He's a part of the offense. Now we can just focus on the fact that he's a really good prospect and, you know, something happens to Miles Sanders, like Kenneth Gainwell is going to be a smash. I think, I mean, the, the offense, there are concerns, but he's good. And then the fact that he's, you know, the clear number two, and they're only using two guys is all bullish. Yeah, I think, too, there might be a point where we have to recalibrate actual running back capital, day three running back capital. Uh, I don't know if we're yeah. there yet, but they're, they're, we might if this continues the past couple of years where, uh, you know, because you look at the the actual running back pick he was in the draft compared to the actual ca- capital that was invested. There's a there's a significant difference there. So we'll see. Maybe it was just a weird class where, you know, the teams didn't really because they're, they're not a lot of running back jobs that were open for this pre-draft. Uh, so maybe that was a part of it, too. But uh, there might be a, a time where we have to go back and say, hey, man, a, a fifth round running back draft capital is, is used to be maybe significantly like a round three draft capital a decade ago. Maybe We're, we'll see what happens. That's something to monitor. It's something I've thought about a little bit too all, along the way. Uh, but let's bring it home here. Uh, everyone, everyone's favorite and least favorite segment of the show, uh, the starts and sneaksters where me and the guests kind of pick through our favorite uh, player that is outside of the industry industry consensus uh, in terms of starting projections and expectations this week. Uh, I might Dwayne, Dwayne McFarlane was on last week, uh, a quick scoreboard check. Uh, last week, we both had Justin Fields. We went down at that ship. Dwayne had Melvin Gordon, who was a hit at running back. I had Mike Davis, who continued to do Mike Davis things. I had Cole Beasley, though, on the blitz-happy Washington side, and that continued to hit. Dwayne stacked Justin Fields with Darnell Mooney, so you know how that went. He had Austin Hooper uh, reach the end zone for you, and uh, I had Evan Ingram, who now everyone wants to play this week in DFS for some reason. Uh, but, hey. Uh, so, Ben, I can start out with you. Guest always gets to go first. Uh, give me a quarterback that is the industry doesn't have ranked as a top-12 quarterback, but you believe uh, – that you're just, you're higher on this week. This is funny. I, you told me we were going to do this and I didn't do a good job of preparing, but I'm going to get right. off the seat of my pants a little bit. I I, I will say, uh, I'm, most I'm people do the industry <laughs> right now. Yeah, I, Man, I'll go back to Justin Fields. It, I, like, we don't know if he's going to start for sure, but uh, if he starts this week, I think he has a really good game. I actually like want to play him again, which seems just absolutely insane. Yeah, the, the flop lag argument. Yeah, I mean, it's the Lions, uh, you know, they're the giving yeah. up a ton of production and you would hope that the game plan would be improved. I don't hate that. Uh, I'm going with Sam Darnold. Uh, you know, I really think that the Cowboys defense is living off a little bit of this turnover cachet. They lead the NFL in turnovers. Uh, I don't think that that's something that's going to sustain itself over the course of the season. They're still allowing the third most yards for playing in the NFL. Uh, and I just look at this Panthers team total. It's way too low. I think that and it's the first game the Panthers are going to have to pass the entire game uh they haven't had to yet you know uh with who they've started up with you know on schedule so i he i think to me he was like the, yeah. the first one i saw but then I yeah, so i'm gonna go with darnold as my guy so th- this is a gross one uh for everybody but running back uh it's never never sexy but uh what do you got for running back i mean i'm, I'm kind of gonna take another injured guy but the first guy that popped into my head when we talked about doing this was elijah mitchell i i thought it was a pretty bad sign for trey sermon's value that they went to kyle juice check on the first carry they used him a lot more than in his h-back role sermon was the only true running back that got any snaps they did not use carry on johnson or jock patrick um and he only got a 59 percent snap share which is a little bit like if he's the only running back playing, you'd think he would have been used more than that. And Mitchell was over 60% in each of weeks one and two. And, um, you know, hasty was, was active and other guys were active. And so Mitchell, I think if he's back active, they go right back to him. And so, right. You know, right now he's probably ranked low a little bit because of that injury, but I think, I think uh, he, he's like outside the top 40. I think there'll still be some hesitation because we won't know how much he'll play. I think they go right back to him. And, and like what we saw last week with Sermon was kind of a low-key bad sign for whether Sermon is going to be like can, can continue to be heavily involved or if he's like still sort of buried because like why were they using Kyle Juszczyk as the 
you know, the star, the running back, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was, there's points where he literally was like actually used as the running back. I saw some people trying to defend Sermon saying that, you know, he was limited in practice because of concussion. So he wasn't really part of the install the, for the week, but I don't know how much truth. I have no idea like how much truth actually is to that, but uh, it was, I don't think it was good. And I don't think Mitchell did anything in week two against the better Eagles run D that they had Brandon before they lost Brandon Graham uh did anything to play himself out of the role he had to be like Wally Pipped. So I do believe that they are going to, if Mitchell's healthy, that he's going to go back to being the guy. Uh, I'm going to go with, and because I, it's my show, I can do what I want. Uh, I'm going to take uh, whatever the, whoever the grinding back for the Raiders is, whether it be Peyton Barber or Josh Jacobs is back. Uh, you know, uh, I, I reserve the right to, to call both. Uh, <laughs> uh because it, it's a similar situation. We saw Peyton Barber kind of, they figured a little bit something out in the run game last week against the Dolphins, but this is what I talked about earlier. I kind of hinted at this matchup. So Brandon Staley's defense predicated on two high safety looks. They give you light box after light box. They want they invite you to run. That's what they want you to do. Antonio Gibson in week one, 5% of his carries against loaded boxes. Cowboys backs, just five of 29 of their carries came against loaded boxes. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last week, zero of his carries came against loaded boxes. Uh, they're they're going to invite the Raiders to run the ball in early downs. Uh, and I think the Raiders will have to acquiesce a little bit. So the Chargers have been giving up ground production, uh, five and a half yards for carry to running backs because uh, they don't care. They don't care if you run the ball on them. They're not trying to give up big plays in the passing game. That's what Brandon Staley's defense has always done, dating back to any time he's called defensive plays. Uh, so I like the role that the Raiders running backs, uh, the, the early down grinder, will play this week. So even if Josh Jacobs is active, I don't think the industry is going to rank him as a top 24 guy either. So I'm going to take the transitive property. Um, what do you got for me for a wide receiver? I love that pick. My, my honorable mention was going to be Zach Moss too, who for some reason is out. I thought you were, I thought figured that Zach Moss was going to be a low hanging fruit for people. Uh. Yeah, he, he kind of was, we, we should mention him as well. Uh, man, there's a lot of, a lot of potential receiver options and I'm, I'm just looking through them now. You got one, you got one queued up. You want to, you want to, yeah, I'm going to stack my quarterback with uh, Robbie Anderson. Uh, you know, Robbie Anderson, we obviously need more of a role change for him. I mean, his A dot is basically double what it was last year, 18.4 yards. It was 9.8 last year. They're not getting him any easier looks. Uh, he's been targeted on just 10% of his routes because of that high dot. That's actually the lowest receiver in the top 40 wide receivers in terms of route percentage participation. Uh, but I look at this matchup and one, you get squeaky wheel factor. You got Matt Rule saying that they want to get him the football more. You got no Christian McCaffrey. Also, we have uh, you know, maybe the Cowboys are going to throw Trayvon Diggs at DJ Moore. Uh, that's not going to push me off of DJ Moore by any means. But what we've seen so far, though, is that against the Cowboys, we've got kind of, of a common thread that the kind of quote unquote wide receiver two has done better in all these games. Saw Antonio Brown in week one. Maybe you can question me on Mike Williams week two, but you know, and then Jalen Rager, even on Monday night had by far the most productive game while Devontae Smith was kind of uh, a guy that had inefficiency problems. Uh, so I'm going to chase some of that little bit kind of a narrative that these, these uh, wide receiver twos have been a little bit better plays against Dallas and stack my quarterback. And uh, if Robbie Anderson doesn't do it this week, he might be one of these guys too, that we're talking about of, uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to take uh, Jalen Waddle. I think he's uh, he played a lot more, not not a ton more, but a little bit more in the slot with Fuller back last week. Thought that was really interesting. You had Fuller and Devonta Parker clearly on the outside. Waddle and Gasicki seeing a ton of targets, you know, over the middle, underneath. Waddle didn't have a bunch of yards, but we know the dude's explosive. It, it was nice to see his routes jump up, even with Fuller back. He actually ran the most routes on the team, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so. Like a lot, a lot of positive, I think for Waddle, who's I think going to hit for some big plays at some point, we, we would like to see obviously some, um, some downfield looks as well at some point, but just the, the sheer target volume, I think he's kind of almost going overlooked because he only had the 58 yards. And it's like, dude, he, he got 13 targets. He caught 12 passes. He's not going to average four yards per, you know, five yards per reception. Um, even at that really low a dot, I, I just don't think that's going to happen with a guy like him. Like this isn't, Juju like uh, and look I love Juju but like Juju has not been as explosive Waddle has legit burst and so he's going to hit on some big stuff as well potentially just as a yak play but hopefully they 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 uh target him downfield a little regardless seems like a, a fit for what he's doing and what he's running uh in terms of routes for what Brissett wants to do he's targeting you know that's the point with Waddle and Gasicki's like he's targeting both these dudes in this area um that's just like what Brissett wants to wants to do and where he wants to go with the ball so I think Waddle has another another big day, and at a certain point, it's going to have a splash day on top of it. 
Yeah, Waddle's having the start. I thought Visca would. This is how I yeah. thought Visca would be would be performing. Slow a dot, you know, kind of just getting a bunch of targets uh, in the offense. That's you know trailing game script and Waddle. We know has downfield ability, so we need that just door unlocked for him. The Dolphins, obviously, they're another team. Major pass protection issues that force that ball to come out quick, and they're just peppering him with targets. Uh, do you have a tight end dialed up? It's the worst position of all. Uh, the heart of darkness. I will take, uh, yeah, I figured he'd be here. I'll take Dawson Knox. Look, like, no, he's gonna be pick? mine too. So we'll double up. We're gonna com- combo it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, look, we, we've been waiting on Dawson Knox for three years, but he's still only a third year player. We know tight ends can take a little longer to break out. He's athletic. He's only 24, he turns 25 in, in a month or so, or sometime in November, I think it is. Um, to score the last two weeks, the big thing for me is his routes are up this year. Yeah. Uh, week one, it was, uh, it was like 48%. I'm going to pull it up week one. It was 45%. The last two weeks, 78%, 77%. He's running routes on over three quarters of dropbacks. That's huge for tight end. Like it's not that dissimilar from what we were saying is exciting about Kyle Pitts. Um, you know, the, the targets are still primarily going to Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders and Beasley. And those guys are going to be there. And Knox isn't, you know, earning a ton of targets per route. His numbers are actually down a little from last year, but uh, and last year they weren't even necessarily great on the on the per route stuff, and especially when I was looking at the, the weighted targets per route run this week. I do think that could rebound a little. It is a small sample. The fact that his routes are up, the fact that this team got their, their pass game going last week, they're going to throw a ton. Uh, even in a game against Houston, they probably lead. I think they still throw plenty. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's an, a really nice streamer. He's my favorite like later tight end to be grabbing right now. Yeah, he's. I've picked him up in a couple of leagues where, where I didn't have some guys kind of hit like I was hoping, you know, early on in the season or, or you know, uh, just haven't performed. So I've, I'm hoping that he continues to get going. Like you said, and I've seen a lot of people say that the Bills aren't going to have as pass heavy a script. Listen, the Bills score 40 points. They're going to score 40 points because they were throwing the ball. <laughs> that's, that's what they do. Uh, and hopefully, you know, for for, uh, you know, you being the 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 resident fantasy, you know, truther of Stefan Diggs for the existence of time that, you know, Diggs cashes in all this opportunity this week. And we have that huge breakout game for him it's uh, coming. against the Texans. It's coming. Yeah. I mean, listen, DJ Moore was last week, Diggs this week. It's, it's right for you. Yeah. That, that, that tees up very nice. I agree. All right, man, let's put a bow on this. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work uh, and what you have going on right now. Yeah, the biggest place is bengresh.substack.com. It is a premium newsletter. It's eight bucks a month. You get my big recap article, Stealing Signals, on Mondays and Tuesdays, break down every game. Give at the end of the second part on Tuesday, I give the biggest signals and noise of the week. Um, and then, yeah, I can do the occasional additional posts like the way to target, target per routes one, weighted targets per route run one that we talked about uh, throughout the show a little bit today. Uh, and then, yeah podcasting with with sean siegel over on road of his radio stealing bananas podcast and uh the ship chasing on, on wednesday night i'm doing some roto grinders uh stuff on on sunday morning a live show with eric bime over there so come tune in for for that from last minute you know dfs stuff if you're looking for that uh writing some betting articles for odds checker just yeah all over the place a busy busy man you hear it here <laughs> i love it listen it was great having you uh, that's going to be it for us. You know, hope everyone has a great week four and we'll see you again in week five.